Thanks, Helen. Uh, hopefully you've got an outline. I'm going to pray and then we'll look at 1 Corinthians 1. Uh, thanks, Heavenly Father, for the privileges to gather. Thank you for your word, how precious it is. May you work in our hearts so that we might see Christ and that we might be changed as a result. Amen. Uh, maybe this might not surprise you, but when I was in high school, I really wanted to be famous. Oh man, I didn't really mind how I became a celebrity, I just wanted to be one. Um, but as I look back, I think it's, the, it's one of the worst ideas I ever had. I seriously think that. Today I'd rather much fly under the radar, remain unnoticed. I like words such as quiet and boring, and one of my happy places is to be at home. Um, but today, no doubt, we live in a celebrity culture, don't we? We can, fam- we can follow famous people on Instagram and Twitter, on social media, and it can be quite impressive to how many followers someone might have. Uh, we live in the age of social media uh, where people can be an influence on your purchasing decisions. Uh, and we're fascinated, aren't we, by famous people. Uh, and we have m- even more greater access to what Uh, to them now, so it seems, or at least what they want us to see. And so celebrity culture is in our society, but it's also impacted our our church in both good ways and bad. Uh, These days, you can access some of the best preachers on the planet by tuning into a podcast or downloading their sermons. And I think this is fantastic. We can benefit greatly uh, from how God has gifted preachers all over the world. Uh, Lots of pastors have become famous. Uh, They don't set out to be famous, but because they're good at what they do, they influence others for the cause of Christ. Um, And I wouldn't even say even our very own Sandy Grant has been able to use the gifts that God has given him to serve not only our diocese, but other ministers uh, in our diocese, but also beyond which is a great thing. But also, there's a downside, isn't there, to celebrity culture, for particularly for pastors and church leaders who are tempted to want to become famous and influential. Uh, thankfully, as I was thinking about this particular topic, I uh, reached for my water bottle and I went to take a drink but realised a bit too late that the, the lid wasn't screwed on properly. And so as I was thinking about this, all the water fell on me and I thought, yeah, that's not for me. I don't think I'm going to be a celebrity pastor. Thankfully, I know my place. But it may or may not surprise you that celebrity culture is not a new thing, isn't it? In fact, to some extent, it's there uh, when Paul is writing this letter to the church in Corinth. And so we're going to start a series looking at chapters 1 to 6. And one of the major problems of this church was that there were factions, groups, divided. These groups were clashing because they were comparing their favourite leader and maybe arguing about why the others should follow their leader. They'd have strong disagreements about maybe who's the better preacher or who's the better teacher or leader. And of course, this brought division and fighting. Uh, Just imagine in our own context, we heard it today. I'm I'm, I'm pretty clear, people were wanting Ian uh, over John. Uh, uh, so this is relevant for us. Sorry, that seems... Sorry, sorry, John. Um, now, the crazy thing was is that this isn't 
the Corinthian church is not an old church. Uh, this is a very young church. And the, this church in Corinth was, was facing division at a very early age. Uh, but it's not the only problem of this young church. The church had problems when it came to pluralism, sexuality and worship. And so if, um, if you think St. Michael's is not a great church, just read this letter and you think, oh, it's not that bad after all. But before we get into how Paul goes about tackling these problems and the divisions caused by loyalties to leaders, it's, uh, just a little, we should just spend a bit of time on the context. Corinth was originally a Greek city, uh, but was destroyed by Rome in 146 BC. Julius Caesar refound the city in 44 BC, and it kind of rose to prominence, becoming one of the most important cities of the Roman Empire. According to the Rosner Champa commentary, uh, they summarise like this, Roman Corinth was prosperous, cosmopolitan and religiously pluralistic, accustomed to visits by impressive, travelling public speakers and was obsessed with status, self-promotion and personal rights. Oh, that doesn't sound that much different to uh, cities today, doesn't it? Paul had laid the foundation uh, for the church on his second missionary journey and spent 18 months building the church up. You can read a bit more about that in Acts chapter 18. Uh, there was a previous letter to this one that we don't have. Um, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians in response to disturbing news from the church. And uh, it seemed like the, uh, the values of the world have kind of infiltrated the church. So where do you start if you were Paul? Where do you start to help a church that has so many problems? Uh, do you kind of just get stuck into them, say you've got to do better? Well, first of all, he starts, of course, quarterly by uh, introducing himself yet again as the apostle. Uh, that's that he's the authorised messenger of Jesus. Uh, this was not his choice, but it was by God's will. And then he introduces who they are. He reminds them about who they are. And so that's what I want to say in the first point is Paul wants to remind them about who they are. And that is this. They belong to God's church. Uh, they belong not just to God but to his people. Uh, yes, they belong to the church based in Corinth but also God's wider church. Have a look at verse 2. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Uh, Paul wants to remind them they, do, they don't belong to him. They don't belong to the leaders. They belong to God and his church. And the beautiful thing about belonging to God's church, I think this is incredible. Even though there are significant problems, there are major problems in this church, it hasn't affected who they are in Christ Jesus. Paul says these guys are sanctified in Christ. These guys are holy. Yes, there's sexual immorality, but their position before God is that they're accepted and holy before him and they're able to enjoy God's presence. And this is incredible. And this is the motivation as well. They've been set apart to be holy. 
And of course, Paul's problem is that they aren't acting like what it means to belong to God. They're more in line to belonging to the city than to God. But the point Paul is making is that they are holy. And that's their calling, to be holy. But on top of this, they aren't the only church around. Uh, God's church is wider and broader and they are just part of the much larger landscape. They belong to the global church, the universal church. And they're simply part of worship of God that is happening all around the world. So Paul just doesn't want to get them bogged down in arguing and boasting when they realise that they're only part of God fulfilling his plan where people all over the world worship him. So, let's think about what this means for us. If you are united to Jesus, you are holy, okay? It doesn't matter how you feel about that. It doesn't matter if you feel unworthy of that. You are holy, okay? Some of us look more holy than others. No, no, sorry, that was not very true. If you trust in Christ, nothing can change this, not even your sin. There'll be times that you don't feel it because, yeah, for sure, you may be feeling racked with guilt, but the reality is you are sanctified. Now, of course, that doesn't mean you just kind of leave it like that. When you are holy, you get on with being holy. Your life is to be holy. The whole purposes of God's plans for the church is that they will worship him and glorify him. That's the ultimate purpose. That's what your life is all about, is to glorify God, whatever you do. But I think as well, when we come to this, uh, you belong. Isn't that lovely to, to know that you belong to God's church? You don't belong to the world. You belong to the worldwide family of God. You belong to uh, God's church, the people who are gathered across the globe. And not only that, you belong to the people who gather earlier today and later today. I think it's so brilliant. Um, Just even just thinking about it today, uh, we've had 7pm people, uh, our 7pm folk serving our 945 folk. We've had 5pm folk serving our 11.30 folk. And it's just beautiful. I wonder if you recognise that you belong to those people too. But some of you may be feeling like you don't feel like you belong. And that may be true. Uh, You don't feel it. And that's fair. I think sometimes we're sadly mistreated by others. We felt on the fringes. Um, But the truth is, from God's perspective, you indeed belong to his church. And so Paul starts by reminding them of who they are. And he goes on to remind them of how he's treated them. And Paul's super thankful to God for all that God has done and achieved through his grace. And before Paul tackles the problems that will happen, he wants to share with them how he's thankful to God for them. And particularly, point two, they've received God's grace. And that's the second thing. Paul gives thanks for the riches of God's grace given to them at their conversion. You can see this starting in verse 4. Let's have a look. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. And then he'll go on, he'll start general verse 4, and then he'll plough his way 
into the concrete expressions of God's grace in verse 5 onwards. And just to kind of give a summary, uh, I think Paul is wanting the Corinthians to remember God's grace because this, uh, he wants them to learn the lessons of grace. And by learning the lessons of grace, he'll be, they'll be able to work through their particular problems. But all that kind of is summarised by the fact that he wants them to boast in God's goodness rather than in human leaders. If there's anything that makes people equal before God, is this. We have all received God's grace. It's not like I've received it and you haven't. We all have received God's grace. That's what makes us level, equal. And then we boast in what God has achieved in us. And it's only because of God they've received the good news of Jesus. It's only because of God that their church has every spiritual gift gift that they require. It's only because of God's grace they can wait for their final adoption. And it's only because of God's grace that they'll be actually uh, made blameless on the day of Christ. God is at work. He continues to be at work in them. There is no room for boasting. It is by God's grace alone that we receive pardon. And this is just a great reminder for us all, isn't it? Uh, we are all equal because we've, if we trust in Christ, we've all received God's grace. That's the confirmation. And we need to remind ourselves that we are recipients of God's grace Then we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are the same. We are equal. And that we, we are one. And so before Paul addresses the main problems of these early chapters, do you see what he's doing? See how he's crafting and showing them who they are, they're holy, and how God has treated them by grace. And it's super humbling, isn't it? Um, when you walked into the, into the church building, what did you see outside? Scaffolding. Uh, and I think that's a really good image of who we are, aren't we? Because uh, God is at work refining us and changing us. We're like um, ones that are not finished. Okay, we've got scaffolding all around us, we're under construction and uh, we've had to get outside help to fix the roof, the leaks. Uh, God is the, the outside help that we all need. He's the one by grace who's working in our lives and so we are all under construction. You are just like this building. Oh, no, 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 sorry, a bit rude. Oh, you're under construction, that's my point, sorry. You're not the finished product. And isn't that great? Isn't that great that we are not the finished product? And it gives us a realistic sense of who we are, but also what God is going to keep doing. He's not finished with us, is he? We are all under construction. And that's a beautiful thing to know, especially when there are problems. Well, Let's dive into the problem that will kind of, uh, it will kind of be the theme of the next few chapters and that's point number three. Paul wants them, uh, in view of what God has done, in view of who they are, Paul wants them to be perfectly united, having no divisions. Um, and that's the final point that I'm going to make tonight. Paul appeals to them, interesting, in- interestingly, not as the apostle, but as, as family. We're family. Have a look at verse 10 in his positive appeal. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. See, although Paul is the apostle, he appeals on the basis of being family. 
as an equal, as a brother, as one of them. He does, yes, appeal on the basis of the authority of Jesus, but he's appealing on them as a family member. And he wants them to agree with one another in what they say. Now, at first it's difficult, is he talking metaphorically, talking literally? Uh, But maybe we can see that they are definitely saying different things uh, and that's leading to quarrels. Have a look at verse 12. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Kephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Uh, These Corinthians are divided, rallying around particular leaders. It would be like if some of you will say, I'm on the Sandy Grant bandwagon, uh, and you're bickering with maybe the Andy Stevenson groupies, who are then also fighting the Stacey Chapman stalwarts. Uh, I'm sorry, that probably doesn't help. Um, But what had happened with the Corinthian church is that the quarrelling had got to the point where it became intolerable. They were split over these three leaders, Paul, Apollos and Peter. Some, of course, felt attached to Paul. He was the founding, founding pastor in that sense. He was the one who brought the gospel. Some were even baptised by him. But we get a hint, verse 17, that he wasn't a great speaker. or He wasn't as great as they wanted him to be, as an eloquent speaker. Yet, Apollos... Apollos, what we know of him in chapter 18 of Acts is that he was someone who spoke with great fervour. He vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents. So you can see there the styles that maybe are slightly different. But then lastly, we have those who follow Kephas and that is the Apostle Peter, uh, the Apostle to the Jews. Uh, Now, we can't be 100% certain whether Peter actually travelled to Corinth, even though that, that is likely. Uh, but we can be 100% certain that Peter influenced the Corinthians. So the gist of what is going on is that these three groups are creating factions and rivalries which are damaging the church. But maybe it's the last group that seems a bit more puzzling. The I follow Christ group. You, you kind of think they're the, the holier than that, oh, I follow Christ kind of thing. Uh, but I think actually uh, it's not a, it's uh, some think that this group uh, were um, you know would say oh we don't need a particular human leader we only recognise Jesus' authority but I think the maybe the better reading and I could be wrong about this um, is that I think Paul is saying uh, in ironic terms that I follow Christ um, and so what he's trying to say I think it kind of works in in that. Uh, if you carry on from verse 13, uh, he, he kind of brings up other absurd questions. I think the, the point is that we should all follow Christ, is, is what he's trying to say. And verse 13 kind of confirms that is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptised in the name of Paul? These are absurd notions and questions. And the, all the answers are no, it's, it's negative, it's no. And so the big takeaway is that all allegiances to human leaders at the expense of unity are absolutely idiotic, foolish, ridiculous. And I, but I do want to say that these factions seem to be about style rather than substance. Sometimes it's right that you have to divide because of, uh, of doctrine. If, you, if, if, you're, if there's someone who's speaking a false gospel, that, that, that's right to divide. But in this case, it seemed like there was agreement in terms of the gospel, but it was more to do with style... Uh, than, than substance. 
Well, what does this mean for us? At St. Michael's, I believe that we have, on the whole, a happy and united church. And praise God for that. But it is possible that maybe for some of us, we elevate some leaders above others. And I'm not necessarily just talking about those who preach and those who are on pastoral staff, but some of our brilliant, brilliant, uh, fantastic volunteer leaders. And so maybe it's tempting to become disgruntled with one leader over another because you think, man, if only they could be like that. Maybe it's tempting to be disgruntled with, um, say, the preacher, especially when you hear world-renowned speakers uh, as you download their podcasts. You might think, oh man, I wish they could be a bit bit more funnier or a bit better intellectually. Uh, Or maybe even amongst the pastoral staff or the ministry staff at St Michael's, you have your particular preachers and you've it's really hard work to listen to some of the other preachers like me at the moment. But I think what we have here is incredibly wonderful. To have such a depth and breadth of leaders and preachers at St Michael's is an absolute blessing from God. Because you know why? We are all different. And we're going to connect with different people, aren't we? Some will connect better with one person over another. And this is not necessarily a bad thing. It's it's a blessing to have a variety of styles in terms of how people lead and how people speak and how people disciple and how people serve. That's a beautiful thing. Um, Yes, you might have to work harder to listen to some preachers than others. But remember this, when it's hard to listen to a preacher, you might remember this. Actually, This is going to be great for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Praise God for that. You must never play off leaders, teachers and preachers off against one another, here or even beyond. Um, And look, praise God we can access sermons from great Australian preachers, great worldwide preachers, but be careful not to give your allegiance wholly to them that you can't listen to anybody else. It's possible that in listening to your Jensen's or Galeas or Manchester's or Keller's or Piper's that you place unrealistic expectations on your local leaders. The best thing you can do is love and support your local church leaders and not place unrealistic expectations on them. And if you're a leader here, we want you to be who... God has made you to be. We don't want you to be somebody else. And if you're a leader here and you're aspiring to be influential, then please be careful. The goal is never to be influential, but it's to look after the gospel and to serve God's people. So remember, Paul is appealing to the Corinthian church to be united, to have no divisions. Their inappropriate allegiances were causing harm and having disastrous results. So with that in mind, could you please pray this week that we would be unified as a diocese? Do you know what's happening this week? We are electing an archbishop. Wouldn't it be great for unity? There are four candidates. It could be easy to to be divided over that, but would you please pray for unity and that the best candidate would be elected and that there'd be no divisions among the synod.
That would be fantastic, wouldn't it? Well, let's finish. Unity is always a tricky thing, I I, I think. Um, But thankfully, the answer is simple. Uh, To have unity, it comes down to how we all relate to Jesus. And Jesus is the one who truly matters. We are all members of his body. And I think uh, when I was reading chapter 1, I loved chapter 1 for this because when you read chapter 1 of when Paul is writing this with with the brother Sosthenes, you can see Jesus is just all over this chapter. Did you notice that? It's just every he's just everywhere. Um, Jesus is mentioned mentioned time and time and time and again, and I think that's it, isn't it? That's the answer. That's the answer to unity. It's to be all about Jesus. Uh, that's what Paul was. He was all about Jesus. I mean, church unity is complex. Leaders will disappoint you. It's always going to be a temptation. Uh, to be successful in the world's eyes. But let's just boil it down to this. When it comes to not being divided, this is the key, isn't it? Make much of Jesus, surely. Make much of him. And may he be our, our everything.